Hello and welcome to the latest Lancet podcast. I'm Richard Lane and it's Tuesday, December the 4th, 2018. Three years ago, there was great excitement worldwide when The Lancet published a report documenting the first human uterus transplantation from investigators at the University of Gothenburg in Sweden. Here we are three years later with a new paper which comes out of the University of Sao Paulo in Brazil and this details the first procedure done for a uterine transplantation but using a deceased donor. It's a fascinating paper, a great human interest story. And earlier, I was lucky enough to speak to the two lead authors of the paper, Dr. Danny Eisenberg and Dr. Wellington Andreos. And they led this remarkable procedure. Earlier, I spoke to them on the line from Sao Paulo. And it's not a brilliant line, but do bear with it because the story really is remarkable. Dr. Eisenberg, Dr. Andreas, many thanks indeed for joining us. The details, of course, are in the paper, which we urge everyone to read. I'll just quickly run over the basics of this remarkable story. Here we have a 32-year-old woman who has no uterus due to a genetic condition called MHKA syndrome. She has the opportunity to receive a uterine transplant. The donor was a 45-year-old woman who had died from a stroke. And what you were able to do in Sao Paulo was to procure the deceased woman, 45-year-old woman's uterus, and get it to your clinic, where you were then successfully able to transplant it into the recipient, the 32-year-old woman. Important to say, of course, that the recipient had previously undergone IVF because she wanted to have children, and some viable embryos had been created. The transplantation that you did took around 10 hours and the uterus itself was ischemic for for nearly seven hours, which we'll talk about later. But most importantly, the procedure was successful. The woman was discharged from hospital a few days later. And seven months after the surgery, an embryo from her IVF was implanted and she became pregnant. Very happy to say that 36 weeks later, the woman gave birth via C-section to a healthy child and mother and child are doing well. I also note that at the time of delivery, you removed the transplanted uterus. So lots to talk about. But let's start off with a bit of background. Just briefly tell us the context, how we've been able to move from from live transplantation to now what we think is the first transplantation from a deceased donor, because clearly this is potentially a remarkable step. The first and a very important milestone in human reproduction is the first uterine transplantation that was conducted by Professor Max Brandstrom at the University of Gothenburg, Sweden, and that was published in 2015 at Lancet paper. We learned about with uh, their experience, and they helped us a lot when we conduct our survey. A limitation point, or uh, an important point, that uh, Professor Martin, the Swedish group, using only living donors. And this point can be an important limitation when you don't have a close friend or uh, someone in, or a relative that can donate the uterus. And then when we started, and our case is a proof of feasibility and that we can use that deceased donors, and in this way we can help much more women to obtain pregnancy and a healthy baby. Now, to discuss some of the specifics 
of the procedure. I think I'm going to speak to, to your colleague and, and co-lead investigator on the paper. Is that right? Yeah, my name is Wellington Andros. I'm transplant surgeon at the uh, gastroenterology department uh, in the University of Sao Paulo, Brazil. You are the lead transplant surgeon involved in the procedure? Yeah, we worked together since the beginning, doing the surgeries, the experimental surgeries and uh, everything. So I performed the surgical procedure with Danny. We did all the pro protocols, the surgical uh, project uh, after the surgical procedure, we performed together the procurement and also the implant of the organ. You have to act very quickly, don't you? Because you have to transplant the donor organ, the uterus, a few hours after her death before ischemia really sets in. So just tell me a bit about how quickly you had to, to move and, and, and the size and scale of your team. We went to the procurement. It was... Uh, in the same city, but in, it was quite far away. There was other procurement teams to retrieve uh, the heart and uh, liver and uh, kidneys. And the uterus uh, was the last one to be retrieved because it was considered not a, a vital, yeah, vital organ. So this was a, a problem because it had like a, a, a bigger Code ischemia time because of that. And uh, another transplant surgeon started the procedure with uh, the, the recipient here at the hospital, at our hospital, and prepared the pelvis and the vessels to implant. So we retrieved the organ, came to our hospital, prepared the organ in a bench procedure, and after we implanted, this took time because it was our first case, I think. And uh, we did it very carefully. Also, we have to implant six small vessels in the deep pelvis. It was not so easy. And uh, I think we, in the, the next case, we can do it faster because it was the first one. But it worked. This bigger code is going have time, like seven hours. The uterus is, is still viable. And uh, we had a success. So... In, in different than the life donors, for example, that you have short in the time, the uterus can resist and uh, remain viable after seven hours, for example. Yes, now that's a very interesting finding. One quick point that you mentioned, the, the donor, the dead woman, she was in another hospital, was she, where she died. How far away was that hospital? How long did it take for her organ, her transplanted uterus, to be transported to your clinic where you performed the procedure? It was like in the peripheric area of the, the Sao Paulo. It's like one hour and or more than one hour if you have traffic. My car. The donor woman you stated in advance had to be at least 45 years of age. Why was that? This is an arbitrary limit because we, we could do it a, a little bit more than, than 45. That's not a big problem. But when it's more than 48 or 50 years old, the uterus is more atrophic and the vessels are not so big. And so it's more difficult to retrieve or to find the vessels in the pelvis. And also... Uh, with older donors, we have more vessel problems, artery problems with uh, atherosclerosis. So we decided to limit in 45, but uh, it's not an absolute contraindication. Maybe we can 
amplified for for 50 years old, for example. The donor that should be at least one live birth to prove that the uterus uh, is fully, fully functional. Yes, fully functioning uterus yeah, in the donor. Functional. This donor was the 45-year-old woman that died. She had had three vaginal deliveries, hadn't she? So you knew yeah. that there was a healthy yeah. uterus That's there. That's right. I just wondered whether you could lower the age limit so you could actually get a uterus from a woman maybe in her late 30s who did not want any more children. Would you consider taking the uterus from a younger donor? Yes, yes. We had no rejection and all the time after transplant and uh, during the pregnancy with the biopsies. And uh, we didn't use uh, a very high immunosuppression. So I think the, the uterus is uh, very well tolerated. That is interesting because obviously that has implications for its generalizability in the future if it's not specific, yeah. if it's not immunospecific. Only the, the blood type, HBO type, uh, was, was considered a matching in terms of the actual transplantation itself, well, a couple of questions. I noticed you took a two-centimeter anastomosis of the donor vagina to the recipient. Yes. Was, why was that? We consider that uh, we need a, a, a stem not too short and not too long to do the anastomosis to maintain the conduct, the vaginal conduct. This is so important because after the transplant, we, we need uh, a good access of the uterus cervix to do some biopsies and to check the viability. There is no rejection, so this is important. I think two centimeters is right size for a good vaginal anastomosis and uh, not to have a, a leakage or stenosis and to keep a good conduct. And in terms of complications, I mean, the operation was a success, clearly, which is terrific. The two things that stand out from your paper were that there seemed to be a lot of bleeding when you're doing reperfusion of the blood vessels. Did that trouble you? Was there more bleeding during the procedure than you thought? That's true, but uh, we were not worried too much about the bleeding because uh, with less uh, uh, lower levels of hemoglobin, for example, we have a less chance of thrombosis. So uh, it was not a big deal for us. And in the bench procedure, we were worried about uh, not to damage the small vessels to the uterus. We had a little bit more bleeding than a normal procedure, for example, but uh, it was not uh, our, our main concern. We were not so worried about it, yeah. It was a healthy patient with a high level of hemoglobin, so she could uh, accept uh, a blood loss with no problem. We left two veins open just to check the outflow before the implantation. The patient lost a little bit more bleeding because of that. It was not a, a, a big problem. And uh, maybe in the pelvis there is small space and deep, it's uh, some technical difficulty to perform the vessels anastomosis. Maybe this is not a problem, and uh, we can try to improve our uh, warm ischemia time in the, the next procedures. After all, the uterus uh, remain viable after the procedure. The other question I just want to cover on the procedure was the point you make about cold ischemia at the time the 
donor um, uterus was not connected, i.e. it was ischemic before you started getting it connected with blood vessels during the procedure. I mean, the time frame seems remarkable. Six hours of cold yeah. ischemia and an hour of warm ischemia as you started to make blood flow connections. Did that surprise you that the uterus was so resilient to, to ischemia and was still viable? This was the first disease donor procedure, so it's difficult to say that how long the uterus can remain viable. We have only experimental tests that the uterus could remain more than that. In humans, we don't have any data yet. This was the first procedure because the line in donors, the, the code scheme time is shorter. Of course. Like two hours. Yeah. We think the, the, the uterus, like other organs, like uh, liver or kidneys, can remain uh, with a preservation solution and uh, the cold skin at time can be more than seven hours. We believe that. Thank you. And at a final practical question, the woman had her transplanted uterus removed at the time she delivered her child at 35, 36 weeks from C-section. That was obviously planned in advance, was it, that she did no longer want to retain the uterus? She only wanted to have one child and, and that was sufficient. Was that decision made in advance or was it removed at birth for other reasons? She could uh, uh, keep the uterus for another pregnancy. We had uh, to keep the immunosuppression and also do another implant embryo and everything. So we tried to do the procedure with another human and uh, to avoid the immunosuppression and also not to, to do another operation to, to retrieve the, the uterus. So we performed the same operation. But uh, this was discussed with the patient before. The procedure and plan to, to, to do the extraction the same, the same in the delivery. But in the future, presumably the next one of the next steps would be to leave the uterus in and try and do a second pregnancy. Is, is that the next step? Yeah, of course. This is an option and the patient can, can, can have more than one child with the, the uterus. Thank you very much. We must draw this to a close. The final question is just to discuss the, the kind of implications, particularly for the availability of uterus transplantation now that you have shown that it is possible from a deceased donor. What do you think are the main implications? I think the main implication is that the, the absence of the uterus is no longer a real problem for pregnancy. And uh, even if the women don't have a live donor, we can use deceased donors for the uterus transplant. So we have a potential, a big potential and hope for, the, for women with this kind of problem. Dr. Eisenberg, a final comment from you. We think that with this paper, we can disseminate uh, this kind of treatment for uh, lots of women that can have an opportunity in the future, we believe, to achieve pregnancy and to have a healthy child. A very important case for reproductive medicine in the future. Thank you both very much indeed for talking to The Lancet. Okay, thank you very much for the opportunity. So there we have it. From the unfortunate premature death of a 45-year-old woman, we have a life. Thanks for listening. See you next time.